You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Father, this morning we are here. You are here. We know you are not confined to a building on one day a week. You're the sovereign God of the universe. You move among the world, the universe. You move among your people. And this morning we ask that your moving would be one of instruction and correction and reproof and righteousness and that we might be able to listen, learn, Father, that you would teach us, that we might go forth from here knowing more how to obey you, how to honor you in the world, and how to lift up your name. For it is for your glory that we live. And in that we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple of uh, housekeeping. I will be occasionally repairing to this, so do not be alarmed. I want to thank Gordy for stepping up to the plate last week. It's remarkable and marvelous to have people who are ready at a moment's notice and wonderful. And all the the, the work and, and blessing that goes on, the giving and the serving that goes on behind the scenes. Look at this. This is marvelous. I can hide. <laughs> I um, will be talking about leadership today. And lest some of you in here think I'm going to be talking about deacons and elders, you're sorely misinformed. Um, everyone, at times in their lives, is given a position of leadership and responsibility. Everyone. In the, Bibli- in, the, in the Christian world, we are all called to serve. And so I would like to, at, at the start here, give us what I'm going to call a biblical thesaurus. And everybody knows what a thesaurus is. It's a dictionary of sorts in which you look up a word that gives you another word that means essentially the same thing. And today our thesaurus is going to be that when I say the word lead, your biblical thesaurus will have next to it the word serve. And when I say the word leadership, your biblical thesaurus will have next to it the word servanthood. Because that is indeed what God calls people into positions of responsibility for. It is to serve. And so when I began the book of 1 Thessalonians, we looked at the introduction and the first four verses. I'm going to do a short review, and basically the review is going to be almost identical to the last review I did, because as you know, many of you, as many of you, if not all of you know, <clears throat> all of these messages are online, and it could be a bit confusing if I mixed messages in my reviews. So, uh, the first message I gave on First Thessalonians was in February of 2017. It is a genuine epistle of the Apostle Paul, and it was probably written 51, 50 It is an epistle full of thanksgiving, for Paul is delighted with the growth, and I'm going to be using this for documentation on something later on. Paul is delighted with the growth of this little church, composed mostly of Greeks with some Jewish membership. He remarks often that this church was a comfort to him and a blessing. It was unnecessary for him to identify himself as an apostle, as he often does in other epistles. His apostleship was not in question here. 
But there were challenges. There were some challenges. As I mentioned, we completed the introduction and then we went and we went through the first four verses of First Thessalonians back in February 2017. So that was two years ago. Um, they don't use me very much, and those of you who have heard me, you know why. We completed the introduction, we went through the first four verses, Paul reminded the Thessalonians that he prayed for them, and that he kept in mind the work of their, fa- their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness and their hope. Excellent, excellent character qualities. They were a church on the move, and he was glad of it. Then we looked at chapter 1, verses 4 through 10 in December 2017, and noted that the Thessalonians were, and then remember, this is when I began using outlines and letters, and I got carried away. It's said that a good outline is maybe three, four if you're brave, five if you're an idiot, and if you go to six, they need to haul you out on a, on a stretcher. Well, I did six, nobody hauled me out, but Paul noted that the Thessalonians were chosen. In verse 4, he noted that they were convinced of the, of the righteousness of the Word of God. They were cherished by Christ Himself. They were copycats because of that. They were copycats of Christ. They communicated the truth about Christ, and they were calm as they waited for Him. They were chosen by God individually to be the sheep of Jesus Christ, just as you are here if you've trusted Christ. They were convinced of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ's words and life, both by the gospel and by the truth of the scriptures, as well as seeing it lived out in the lives of others that they loved. They knew they were cherished by the Son of God Himself, and so they became copycats of His life, communicating the blessed gospel to those around them, both by word and by their lives. Finally, closing chapter 1, the Thessalonians remained calm as they waited for the return of the great God and King who had purchased them forever for His glory. We then looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 in May of last year. Chapter 2 begins with Paul reminding the Thessalonians how he came to them. Although he did not begin this epistle defending his apostleship, it seems his leadership was in some quarters being challenged. He gave them historical checkpoints regarding what he had come through to bring them the gospel, to bring them himself. And he reminded them that he had never been deceitful and that he had been entrusted with the gospel. These are all catchwords or character qualities that leadership should have. They should never be deceitful. His words were always straightforward and self-effacing. He never lifted himself up. He treated them with the love and concern that a proper leader should, and he behaved blamelessly among them. He finished up with thankfulness, even in this chapter, chapter 2, the beginning there, delighted that the Thessalonians were his hope, his joy, and his crown of exaltation. In that message, we looked at how Paul and his helpers came to the Thessalonians, and these are some of the character qualities also of a leader. They came dedicated, determined, dependable, direct, and deferential. So, chapter 2 of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, is something of a manual of leadership. Now, leadership is certainly comprised of dedication, determination, dependability, Directness and deference. Those are some of the character qualities of those who have been given positions of servanthood and responsibility. This is the kind of leadership that Paul practiced. He practiced it over the churches he planted and he practiced it over all the disciples that he worked with. In these next six verses, which, we, which uh, Dave read to us, and we'll, we're going to read again here in a moment. In these next six verses, which first six verses, Paul gives a continuation 
of a mini laundry list of those character qualities that make up a good spiritual leader. Read Servant. In this section we will be working in today, Paul uses some metaphors. Metaphors are not foreign to the Apostle Paul. He uses them liberally throughout his writings. In Galatians chapter 4, he pictures himself as a mother who delivers spiritual children and then remains with them until they attain spiritual maturity. In 1 Corinthians 4, he is a spiritual father. We will see that today as well. All of the New Testament writers use metaphors liberally. The shepherd in 1 Peter comes to mind. The Apostle John uses quite a few metaphors in the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus Christ himself uses them. One of the more famous is the, the house built on sand compared to the house built on rock. And so, we're going to read our, seven, our, our few verses here, and then we'll look at verse 7, which begins with a metaphor. So again, reading the scripture, because it is the most important part of the morning. But we, Paul says... We prove to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of Christ, of God, but also our own lives, because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. But we prove to be gentle among you, he said as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I mentioned that this is, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but seven begins with a metaphor. This particular metaphor proves a bit difficult, as it is one of the more controversial phrases in the New Testament. But in this series of comparisons, we will see Paul in three words. I got it down to three. Aren't you proud of me? He is a gentle, giving guide. And I believe those three words truly characterize proper leadership, proper servanthood. He, was a, he is a gentle, giving guide. Now, while this is not a complete definition of leadership, it is the core of servant-leader mentality guided by biblical truth. Always gentle, always ready to give, and always learning how to guide and to practice guiding others. But we proved, he said, to be gentle among you. That's the first one, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. I mentioned that this is one of the more controversial verses. This is not to say that there's a doctrinal issue here. The doctrine is the same regardless of the issue. Um, remember, as you probably... I, I didn't get to go to all of Andrew Rappaport's um, messages, but I know some of what he does, and one of those things is the textual support for the New Testament. We can trust this word, um, just a few bits and pieces of information that may be helpful. We can trust it because God said it is trustworthy. But for those who, who, like, who are nerds like me and like information, Plato wrote 427 B.C. 900 years later is the first reproduction of his writings. We have nothing original. There are seven, seven documents existing to prove that Plato actually wrote in the 300s before Christ. Thucydides, Thucydides, 460 BC, 1300 years between the time he wrote and the first document we have saying what, the, what he said. 
We have eight documents verifying that this man lived and that he wrote. Caesar wrote around 100 B.C., 100 to 44 B.C. 1,000 years later, we have documentation of that. We don't have any original writings. The nearest um, writing that we have or the nearest document we have is 1,000 years later, and there are only 10 of them. And last, I will use this Tacitus, circa 100 A.D. Um, a, a thousand years later, we have 20 documents. The New Testament was written over a period of, seven, of, of 70 years in the first century. And uh, we have 24,000 documents plus verifying the accuracy of what you're reading and hearing today. And that is just, uh, that is a, that is just for your edification that as we look at this little issue with a letter, the letter N, I want us to not be concerned about that because the doctrine remains the same. There's a great deal of textual support to translate the word gentle as babe. The word prior to the word commonly translated gentle is a Greek word that ends in the letter N. Again, again he's going to spit it out any minute here. Agenathemen. Agenathemen. It means gentle. Or excuse me, it means proves. It means proved. So that's the first word. The, letter, the word that follows it was translated apios, which means um, mild. Apparently, somebody put an N in front of that, which made the word nephios, which is a babe. It's possible that someone, at some point, a scribe entered that letter there, which followed, which in many manuscripts remained. Frankly, however, either word is fine. The idea following verse 6 where Paul reminds the Thessalonians that he was non-assertive, he says, nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, even though as an apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. He said right after that, he did not seek glory. This flows easily into this verse where Paul describes himself and his fellow workers as gentle or babe-like. That is, he never puts himself above his converts. He never puts himself above those whom he teaches. He never puts himself above those whom he serves. He is their equal. He is their brother. He is, he is their uh, equal as a believer. So either word works fine here. And then he flips the metaphor going from being like a babe, if that is indeed the word, to caring for babes as a nursing mother. That is to say, a mother that nurses her very own children. 2 Corinthians is another area where Paul used a flipped metaphor. It's not uncommon to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, he says, And we are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the veil is at first on the law, then on the hearts of the Jewish nation. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14, the apostles are compared to captives, led in triumph, and then to an aroma. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So it is not unusual for Paul to use to, to use metaphors and to flip them like this. So, whether we use the word babe or gentle, the idea here is that Paul, in his role as their spiritual leader, reads servant, 
was a caring, tender teacher that moved among the elect as a gentle equal who loved them dearly. True caring leadership desires the very best for those that they are responsible for. This characterizes a spiritual leader very well. They are kind, deferential, and gentle. Now, there are most certainly many other things. Sometimes Paul had to be severe. We actually have no documents in our hands, but the, they talk of the severe letter he wrote to the Corinthians and that Titus went to Macedonia to receive the people who came to him after that severe letter had been written, who had come to him from Corinth. And... Uh, it seems that the severe letter produced a godly sorrow and a repentance and a turning back to the Lord, and it was a wonderful thing. And sometimes leadership, read, read servanthood, has to do that. But today, we're going to focus on gentle, giving guides. <laughs> Having so fond an affection for you, verse 8 says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. In ancient days, sometimes a family would lose a baby. Many tombs of babies from that time in history would carry the inscription, We loved you so much. This is the essence of the Greek word traveled, translated here, having so fond an affection for you, the Greek phrase. The apostles and their entourage didn't just bring a message. They didn't just bring a message. The message had transformed their very lives had transformed the way they looked at things, had transformed their inner soul, their inner being. <clears throat> and their gratitude to the Lord and their awe knew no bounds. It was this that caused them to travel so extensively at great expense to themselves and, in, in many cases, great peril to bring the Word of God to the world. This same ideal is practiced today by the many missionary organizations that endeavor, that endeavor to bring the gospel to every tribe and nation. Bringing the word of God to the Thessalonians resulted, for one thing, in a great loving bond with the people there. Paul truly loved those in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, as well as all of the believers in every church he planted or visited. True to the metaphor, Paul continues with the illusion of a love, the illusion to a love a parent has for a child. You all know what that's like, you that are parents in here. It is natural. It is strong. And it is permanent as something on this planet can be. All those in positions of responsibility who have trusted Christ have a deep affection for those to whom they minister by God's grace. This affection is grace-driven by the Holy Spirit to cause those in positions of responsibility to be delighted to deliver not only the gospel, but their very lives in service to those whom they love. Now, I do truly love the people here. But you're going to see me standing off and not shaking hands today. And that is because I love you. You don't want this. <laughs> Not the face either. <laughs> Only one can be on this planet at a time. I guarantee you, though, that great gate that protects heaven from the rest of the universe will make certain that whatever it is that I have stays outside the gate. So, the first responsibility of those in positions of service is to impart the gospel. Now, again... I'm not just talking about deacons and elders and those who have um, uh, what you might call official positions of leadership. This implies and requires the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God. And that can take many years as ministers spend themselves making the word of God clear, compelling, and by God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, effective in the lives of those that hear it, of those believers that they serve. This very work requires the giving of their own lives. 
to those who have become precious to them. This, in a nutshell, is one of the reasons why there is, in many cases, a paid position we call pastor. <clears throat> um, this is the particular person, or in some case, persons, who have dedicated themselves to full-time work, ministering the Word of God to the believers that they have been entrusted with, to, to care for, to, to serve, to serve. Because of that full-time aspect, this undergirds and becomes the essence of the relationships that develop and of the church life that is a result of genuine gospel work. The people here, we all have a special love for one another. And it's, it's on purpose. And it's biblical. And it's a blessed thing. One of the remarkable things about biblical Christianity is the genuine love that is engendered between believers. It is a special love and a caring and, and care, it is a special love and caring in a local church. But you can even see it among believers who meet each other for the first time. It's evident. It's the bond of the Spirit of God that he has, put, he has put, as one man said, eternity in all of our hearts. And that's in Scripture. It is a very real and delightful connection that is a result of the love that God imparts to his people. The more we pour ourselves into others, the more dear they become to us despite the warts and difficulties that can arise caused by the friction that relationships can sometimes develop. And so we see here that along with being gentle, Paul was gentle with the Thessalonians. He was giving. And in this case, he gave the gospel and himself to those whom he ministered to. This is what God leadership does. It is characterized by gentleness and giving. Giving time, giving prayer, giving resources, and most importantly, giving the Word of God in a regular, systematic manner that engenders a love of God and a love of His Word. Leaders are gentle. They're caring. They're gentle and they're giving. Gentle and giving. Verse 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul uses two words here. That described, to describe the work he had done among the Thessalonians. He said he labored under hardship. The idea comes from, this idea comes from a combination of these two words, and, and it is the intense and difficult labor involving weariness and fatigue which, which seriously debilitated or weakened someone, working so hard that it debilitated them. The first word comes from the Greek word for a blow uh, or a bruise, and it indicates wear and tear. The second is the idea of struggling to overcome difficulties. Now, we know in our study of Paul that he is, he is wont to use um, hyperbole. But I believe here he's talking about all of the things that went into the propagation of the gospel, that still go into the propagation of the gospel, but especially went into the propagation of the gospel at the beginning of the church in those days. <clears throat> the travel, the resistance, the hate, and I'm not talking about someone on your Facebook thread that makes an angry face. That's not what I'm talking about. Where people just say nasty things to you. Paul was beaten many times. He was left for dead. He was run out of town. He was, in a sense, tarred and feathered. He endured shipwreck. He endured mobs. He endured physical afflictions. How many would today endure the kind of things that Paul endured to bring the gospel to people? There are plenty that still do. I hear the church in China is, is the true church in China is thriving. Even as they lock up pastors and say you must deny Christ, they won't do it. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. 
He's bringing the word of God back into China. I can hardly wait to see what's going to happen there. That is a large, large gospel ministry. He endured, as I said, all of these things. But he worked with his hands as a leather maker, tent maker, so as not to be a burden to the Thessalonians. He did not want to put any load on them, which is what the word implies. I worked night and day so as not to be a burden. He didn't want to be a burden to them. He didn't want to put a load on them. Paul was giving, that is, he gave of his time, his energy, and his love. Now remember, those of you who have been in our 1 Corinthians class, 2 Corinthians class, which until today was the best book in the Bible, but I got back into Thessalonians and I realized how wrong I was. It's the best book in the Bible. He, we've, we studied the, uh, the issues that went on in Macedonia, how, how the, the Romans had plundered them with taxes, and, and it was a hand-to-mouth existence. They even sent an entourage and a letter to Rome begging them, please, please, I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something, that, something akin to, back off, we're starving. <laughs> it was probably much more eloquent than that. And Rome actually extended... Some, some mercy to him, realizing that the area of Macedonia really was struggling with famine and with all the taxation. <clears throat> the province of Macedonia was regularly plundered by the Romans, and thus the standard of living there was very low. Hand to mouth every day would be the order of life there. And Paul did not want to further complicate nor exacerbate that. This is what the gospel will drive those in positions of servant responsibility to do. Paul spent himself, as did his companions, in the service of God and of the believers that they ministered to in Thessalonia and other places. Remember earlier when when we noted that there were other churches that were able to help Paul and he received support from them. When I say earlier, I mean in earlier messages. Notably, the church at Philippi. Jess talked about that this morning. They had sent him, sent Paul, monetary support while he was traveling through Macedonia. Macedonia. This is another of the remarkable reasons that he was able to work in Thessalonica without, Thessalonica without being a burden to the believers there. So this formed the backdrop of the work Paul was doing. What was that work? It was the preaching of the gospel. Now let's get this right in the church today. He didn't challenge them to be social justice warriors. He challenged them to trust Christ and to love Christ with everything that they had. And so he did not substitute tasking the Thessalonians with dealing with the ills of the day. He preached the gospel. And he expounded on the gospel. Unadulterated and pure. He told them about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He told them about the sending of Christ by the Father. He told them about the need to trust Christ for salvation. He told them about the ongoing work that the Holy Spirit would do in their lives, changing them from day to day to become more and more like Christ and less and less like their old selves. The word proclaimed, this word is a word for herald and it carries a great deal of gravity and seriousness. This refers to a bearer of a message that is life or death. The ship is sinking, get in a lifeboat. The building's on fire. Get out the doors. This is the the gravity that is supposed to be imputed to this particular aspect of the Greek. The gospel is the life-changing message that undoes the life-threatening wickedness that pervades the heart of man. And no man would have ever chosen this. God chose them. He chose the Thessalonians. 
This was far more important and is still far more important than anything else we can bring to the world. And this Paul was truly giving. He was giving the gospel as he gave himself. Now, as Christ changes a man, changes a woman, changes a young person, he may direct them to be involved in some of the things that are going on in the community. And that is as it should be. They will have a ministry. They have had works prepared for them from eternity past, it says in Ephesians, that he's directing them into as he gives them the faith to believe and then the faith to, to work out that, that, those works that he gave them. He was giving, as I said, them the gospel and he was giving himself. A cold, calculated recitation of gospel facts is not what God sends shepherds to do. Why am I not coughing? This is just weird. <laughs> he sends them to love, to care for, and give to the flocks that they serve. This taking that we see in so many supposedly evangelistic meeting ministries today is not characteristic of God's plan. It is not wrong to support the shepherd or shepherds as it may be that are ministering to the flock, but it is wrong for those shepherds, and I use that term very loosely applied here, to take more than is necessary, supporting a flagrant and often debauched luxurious lifestyle. This is taking, not giving. Again, Paul gave. He was gentle and he was giving. This is the third kind of giving that Paul, that Paul practiced. He worked so as not to take from those he was ministering to in those early days, especially of planting churches. You are witnesses, he says in verse 10. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. Now Paul reminds the Thessalonians that they themselves had witnessed Paul and his band, the band of evangelists. They had witnessed their behavior among them. Their behavior was devout. The Greek is holy, hagias. Um, that is, they were set apart for this work and lived before God in a holy manner. And as such, God used them in ministering to the churches, ministering to the individuals. They acted uprightly, that is, properly or righteously, and Paul and the others dealt with the people they served in a manner that bespoke confirmation, conformation to biblical norms, to Scripture. We don't go to a self-help book. We go to Scripture. It teaches us what we need to know about what it is that a servant should look like. Self-help, or the, some of the books that have been written, of course, they are helpful. But trust Scripture. God works through Scripture. They were, Paul and, his, and that band of evangelists, in a modern term, if you will, they were orthodox. The believers there in Thessalonica would be able to compare Paul and his companions, what Paul and his companions said and did, and how they acted, to the way righteous men of old spoke and behaved in Scripture. They behaved blamelessly, he said, and that there was no cause for any reproach about their behavior. Are you in position of responsibility? This applies to you. They behaved blamelessly in that there was no cause for any reproach about their behavior towards men and towards God. They called the Thessalonians to witness, and they, even as Paul said, noted that God was a witness to those very things. They were exemplary spiritual fathers in all they did for the people to whom they brought the gospel. He calls upon them as believers to recognize this. Now, those who do not believe the world, they will see much of what we talk about regarding spiritual leadership and they will, they will laugh at it. They will think it's silly. You don't serve, you take. You get what you can. Look out for number one. 
That's what the world teaches. The, the Word of God explains why that is. In 1 first, in first Corinthians 2, 14, it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot, he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. Paul knew that what he was doing was of great moment, and it was necessary for the growth of the Thessalonians. He knew that it was necessary for their encouragement and their building up. He knew that they, as believers were able to check out the things that he was doing and the things that he was saying, as the Bereans did, against Scripture. And we are all to be admonished to be doing that as we trust, as we listen to Scripture being exposited. And those checks, he, he knew, would prove that what he was doing was righteous. And then he says in verse 11, Just as you know how we were exhorting, and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. Another metaphor. The spiritual fatherhood that Paul is talking about here is, is that of example and not of control or direction. Dictator type direction. A father exhorts his children. Now, of course, a father has to discipline. And there are other, again, this is not going to be a treatise on all the character qualities that go into being, go into being a father. But fatherhood is one of the servant leadership positions that this is exactly referring to. The spiritual fatherhood Paul is talking about here is that of example and not of control. A father exhorts his children. This comes from the Greek, which is the same word from which we get paraclete. It is a coming alongside and a bolstering and guiding. A father encourages his children. This is comfort and consolation. It is a direct outgrowth of fatherly love and kindness. And finally in this verse, a father implores his children. That is, he sees them occasionally deviating from what Scripture teaches, from what Scripture says, from the path of righteousness. And he begs them, he implores them to come back to godliness, rightfully using scriptural um, direction. Those in positions of responsibility must do this, and this is what Paul did to the Thessalonians. He was a guide. He was a gentle, giving guide. Note that the Greek translated, that is translated, each one of you, is actually each one of you individually or personally. Paul and the evangelists with him, of course, preached in the open air or in the churches and in the synagogues. But when necessary and when the time was opportune, they would meet individually with people who needed individual care. Paul lived his belief before the Thessalonians. This is what a shepherd does and this is what a father does. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, captured the essence of the fatherly manner a biblical shepherd should have when he said this. He said, The Christian minister is expected to give practical instruction to his fellow Christians, but not by way of dictation. Since he cannot rule by decree, if he is to be true to the Spirit of Christ, he must guide by example. Christian ministers, biblical teachers, Guide by example. They direct, they encourage, they admonish, but they do not, they are not dictators. And if you see this happening in some sort of a ministry, it's just wrong. It's, a, it's wrong. So this is what guiding is. All those placed in positions of leadership must be gentle, they must be giving, and they must learn to guide. They must learn to guide others. Gentle giving guides. Verse 12 so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And here's the reason. 
that Paul was a gentle giving guide in this section of scripture as he, as he, as this is being read to the Thessalonians. He wanted the believers in Thessalonia to walk in a manner that suited the call of God, that responded properly to the call of God. That is that they would live mature, faithful, gracious, holy lives. They had been called into both the kingdom and into future glory. There is, this is the glorious future for all believers, and they should act like it here. The idea of walking is an excellent, excellent word that, that I would teach the Holy Spirit. Far be it, that's not what I meant. But it's just a delightful word. Much of the Christian life, it is, it is, it is, much of the Christian life is a steady, devoted walk towards glory. It is not embellished with fireworks, nor is it stodgy and boring. Leon Morris in his commentary puts it this way. He says, more literally, the expression means to walk worthily of God, where the metaphor of walking, as often in the New Testament, gives the idea of steady, if unspectacular progress. There is nothing static about being a Christian. When the Lord says, wait on Him, you are busy waiting on Him. The Christian walk is just that. It is a blessed continuation of steady progress onward and upward. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it speeds up. Sometimes it's day by day. Sometimes it's pretty exciting. But it's always up. It's always towards the kingdom. And it's because he, and, and, and here's the kicker, and the kicker's the wrong word. Here's the blessed support for that. It's not because I'm gutting it out and climbing this hill. It's because he who began a good work in you will finish it. He will finish it. You can trust that. You can take that, as they say, to the bank. Finally, the kingdom of God that is spoken of here is not the future kingdom in glory, but the kingdom right now, right here, that Jesus spoke of. In this sense, the kingdom is not necessarily a realm, although it is that too. It is God himself acting and working in men and women then and here today, acting in you and working in you. That is the kingdom. To tie this up, Paul uses several metaphors in these six verses. He reminds the Thessalonians that leadership is gentle like a nursing mother. And, and for those of you that have seen a nursing mother, it is, it is the picture of gentleness and, and care. Who tenderly, he says, cares for her own children. Leadership is giving. Those in positions of responsibility give their lives and their love to those they serve. And it is important that those in positions of responsibility look at the work they are doing as service and not as some sort of leadership job. God leads. The Word of God directs. Shepherds guide. It is required of servanthood that they be devout, upright, and blameless, as verse 10 explicitly states. And it is important for those who are shepherding to exhort, to encourage, and to implore. There's no goading, no belittling, no snarkiness, no attitude. Now, are we all perfect in that? But it's a wondrous goal, isn't it? It's a wonderful goal. Paul was a gentle giving guide, as I mentioned earlier. I'm going to use those three words often together. He treated the Thessalonians as though he was their father, working with his very own children. A well-adjusted godly father will, <coughs> will treat his children with care 
concern, love, and much benevolence. And yes, I know there are times when discipline has to occur, but what we're talking about today is gentleness, about giving, and about guiding. And the expectation is that those who study to be in positions of shepherding or in any position of leadership do that as well. Are you a mother? Are you a wife? Are you a father? Are you a husband? Are you an older brother? An older sister? A supervisor? A Sunday school teacher? A coach? And I've left plenty out, but you name the position. God wants your leadership where you are serving to be, among other things, gentle, giving, and imbued with guidance for those you serve. But finally, remember this, whoever you are and wherever you are serving, these God's people are His people. They are His, the sheep of His pasture. They are owned by the sovereign of the universe. They do not owe their allegiance to anyone but Christ, and that allegiance results in being called into the kingdom, it says, and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ permanently. Serve them as such. Serve them to your utmost and give the glory to the Lord Jesus who bought them, each and every one of them. Let's pray. Father, your leadership is this and oh so much more. You give and you give and you give again. You pick those who have absolutely nothing to warrant being picked as sheep. You gave them the faith to believe, and then you, by grace, lead them through their lives, giving them everything they need to be godly in Christ Jesus. Lord, might we, in, in ways that are given to us by the grace of the Holy Spirit, do the same as much as we possibly can for those whom you have called us to serve and to love. Might we be able to present them, as it says, at your throne uh, gloriously, that they have trusted you and they have walked the walk, they have served you, that you might say to them, well done, good and faithful slave, well done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.